love doesn't consist in gazing at each other. It consists in looking together in the same direction. Do you ever wonder? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to live an extraordinary life? Or is that only for people with exceptional beauty, brains, or talent? I know you are extraordinary. But when I look at me in the mirror, well... Ordinary. 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 Ordinary is all I see. Certainly, life has to be more extraordinary than what I've experienced so far. We all feel like this sometimes, but we don't have to. If you believe that your life and everyone's life can be more connected, more inspired, more fulfilling, then you're in the right place. Welcome to this Extraordinary Life podcast. I'm Kevin Monroe, and together we're going to discover life is extraordinary. extraordinary. Do little things really make that big of a difference? For me, being extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary is more of a choice. There is something truly remarkable about that. Are you looking for a place where people are more interested in who you are? Who you are? Who you are? Put in the extra in the ordinary. That's what extraordinary is all about. I want to live an extraordinary life. How about you? Once again, it's my privilege to welcome you to another episode of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Now, that's whether you're listening for the very first time or whether you're part of the family or community of listeners, I'm grateful for our time together today. And if you happen to be one of those who listens to the same episode more than once, And I know some of you do because you've told me you do. So there's a special welcome to you. And then if you take notes while you listen, (laughs) well, you've got a special place in my heart. I've actually had a few of you tell me that. And I was just amazed. You know what? I'd love to see a copy of the notes you take while listening to this episode's Send me a copy. I'd really love that. Maybe if with your permission, we'll include it in an episode of the show notes. You have no idea how that inspires me to continue this journey and to bring you the very best we can here. Today's episode, well, it's been a couple of months in the making. You know, we've had waves of social unrest around the world. And as much as it pains me to say this, I believe there's more to come. And I wanted to invite someone to join us, me and you, in a conversation about hospitality and the gift hospitality has to offer the world now. And I knew who I wanted that to be. In our conversation, you'll hear why we were delayed in getting that. But Terry A. Smith, he's written a book on hospitality called The Hospitable Leader. He joined me before. He joins me again today. Let's dive in. And oh, I've got a special guest joining me at the end, so you don't want to miss that part of the conversation. Well, Terry Smith, it is such a joy to welcome you to this Extraordinary Life podcast. You are with me as a guest on the Higher Purpose podcast. So welcome. Great to be back with you, Kevin. Thank you. Sure. So we met 
because you wrote a book, The Hospitable Leader, Create Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. And I believe that book united and explored two of your passions, hospitality and leadership. And when we met before, we had a delightful conversation on that book. And we're going to include the link if you listening now want to go hear that conversation. But I invited you to join me now to go deeper and wider into this, not about the book, but about your life and about the need for hospitality. But before we do any of that, I think you'll remember that I always love starting by grounding our time together in gratitude. So what is something you're freshly grateful for in this moment that we're connecting today? I am grateful. You know, I try every morning in my prayer time to start by reciting some things that I'm grateful for. I think in this moment, I'm grateful that my 80-year-old parents are here with me in our home, at least for a little while. My dad has Alzheimer's, and my mother is failing, and we sold their home, moved them here last week, and are trying to assess where they're at and to get next steps. But I'm grateful to be spending some time with my parents who have been living quite a distance away for the last 30 years. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful opportunity in the midst of so much that creates uncertainty and challenges around that with your parents. And yeah, you know, my parents are both gone and the opportunity to have a conversation with them would be a delightful thing right now. So let's acknowledge something else we're grateful for. We're grateful for the ability to tolerate and even just enjoy the uncertainties of life. You and I booked this time, you get to a quiet place and then all of a sudden the landscaping crew shows up outside your window. So that's exactly right. I'm sorry. I normally do podcasts and so on in the more controlled environment of my office, but I'm in my home study today and I don't know quite what to do about these guys showing up trying to make my lawn look beautiful. (laughs) Well, hopefully they won't take long about it. I'm sorry. I don't think it's a disruption, but if you hear something in the background, that's what you hear and and no need to worry about that, folks. Well, Terry, I just said it was this exploration of hospitality that you and I did a couple of years ago, maybe. I know the book's been out two years. I want to ask... How has the need for hospitality changed in the world since you wrote the book? One of the things that I really try to address in the book is the polarization of our society. And that was certainly true two years ago and the year before when I was actually writing the book. But that has just worsened over the last couple of years. I saw, here's an example. I I saw a poll just today that states that, don't quote me on this exact number, I believe it's 76% of single people in in our country today uh, find it extremely important that a potential spouse has the same political views. Whereas, I believe two years ago, that number was less than 50%. Well, all of a sudden, Everything has become heightened, including the need to agree with someone politically because there's such radical polarization. Then you throw into that a particular concern of mine, and that's 
all that has happened around race, especially over this summer. I serve a very, very diverse group of people, and it's been fascinating to watch the way that this has impacted a lot of people that I care about and increased the whole polarization, I think, in our culture because politics and race have become uniquely mixed together during this season. And Terry, it was when those things started heightening over the course of the summer and we were planning the fall episodes of this podcast and I was asking, who can I talk to? Who can I invite in for a conversation that helps us unpack this, helps us explore this? And you were the first person that came to mind. So we had to wait a while because you were on a, a study break. But thank you for joining now. And, and I do want to go deeper. What's the gift that hospitality could offer polarized people? And what would it take, right? Because we're so much more alike than we are different. Right. That's the thing that is always apparent when you actually take the time to create a welcoming environment where you can actually get to know another human being. We are so much more alike than we're different. So I'll say a couple things around that. First of all, it might be important for the folks who are listening to us to know that I have the opportunity to serve an incredibly diverse group of people. I lead a local church, though I'm considered to have some expertise in the leadership space, but I, by vocation, I lead a local church that some have called one of the most diverse in the world. And I'll just say this much about it. It's a large congregation with no dominant racial group. So our board is diverse, our eldership is diverse, our staff is diverse, our congregation is diverse, and this diversity is reflected in almost every way, including and especially as it concerns race and ethnicity. So my book, The Hospitable Leader, is in part an attempt to explain an organizational culture that welcomes a diversity of people, but not just to sing Kumbaya, but to actually lead them to a more and better life, to lead them to accomplish a mission, hence the mix between hospitality and leadership. It's creating a welcoming environment so that you can lead people to something better than what they are presently experiencing. Leadership is, as someone said, about getting people from here to there. So there is always the aspirational future. In our context, we call it the more and better life than we ever dreamed of, or you would call it this extraordinary life. So the other thing I would say is, when I talk about hospitality, I'm not talking about how we're setting the table. Now, that's part of it. I think the physicality of hospitality is important, but I'm not promoting Martha Stewart-ism here. <laughs> I'm promoting creating an overall climate in an organization whether that's understood as a family or a corporation, a nonprofit or a little league team, which I guess would be a nonprofit as well. How does a leader create an overall environment where people are genuinely welcomed and where the sense of welcome that they feel gives the leader an opportunity to lead them to good and beautiful things? So hospitality needs to be understood as this bigger thing. The definition 
of hospitable leadership is that a hospitable leader creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. So the way that hospitality, I think, offers us a gift to meet the need of this moment is that when you create an environment that is truly welcoming to a wide diversity of people, you have amazing potential to sort through the difficulties that we face today. Okay. Yes, I know that you are a pastor, a what some people might call a man of the cloth or any of that. And I also know that you are a leadership. You are regarded as a you might not use the word expert, but other people would say you have expertise in leadership. I appreciate all of that coming together and that we can have a conversation that touches on all of these things with people of any faith or no faith. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one of the things I just love about you, Terry. And that's why I could say, let's have this conversation. And I know the context and the context is important, but I love for you that the context is not limiting or limited. Well, that would be inhospitable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Part of the concept of hospitable leadership is that everybody is welcome at the table. And it's not a matter of welcoming people who are like you. It is about welcoming people, particularly who are, as I talk quite a bit about, strange to you and to whom you are strange. Yeah. Okay. Right now we have people that aren't only strange to one another, but they're screaming at one another. Yeah. And there doesn't seem to be much of a willingness to sit down and talk to one another, right? We want to yell at. How does hospitality even start with that level of polarization? I know that's a tough question. I'm giving you the no softballs here today. Well, I, I think, first of all, you have to, be fully committed to practicing a true hospitality. Professor Christine Pohl said that hospitality is resistance to the natural order of things. I think that you have to practice it and promote it. It so happens today there is, as we're re recording this podcast, yet another Supreme Court nominee being grilled in the U.S. Senate. And I haven't been watching it. I frankly find myself staying away more and more from things that disturb my peace that aren't necessarily important to what I'm doing every day. And so happened I walked by a television and I saw a senator, a U.S. senator, who is a friend of mine, who has endorsed one of my previous books, who I think is a great guy, but have a lot of disagreement with politically. And I have no desire, trust me, to get into the subject of politics. But nonetheless, the last time I saw him, he was just going after the person being interviewed. And the last time I saw him, I actually had a discussion with him about the idea of hospitable leadership. And I said to him, one of the things that has been most attractive about you is your unique ability to appeal to people across party lines. And I, I had actually invited him to speak to an event of primarily oil of people of faith. And it was an event of something like, it was like 140,000 people participate in this event. And 
he did such a marvelous job, you know, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's in terms of, of causing people to feel welcome and just reaching out to people who are coming from different backgrounds. Well, I would simply say that when I saw this few minutes on television today, it crossed my mind. I've got to keep pressing this issue with him. <laughs> you know, yeah. do not get caught up in we must all absolutely refuse to contribute to the disunity and division in our country. That doesn't mean that we can't hold different opinions, but we've got to go beyond it in a way where we're not only tolerating people who are coming from a different background, but we love people. Toleration is a terribly low standard. We're not called to tolerate. God is not toleration. God is love. And somehow or another, we can't approach others as if we're going to stomach them. We've got to approach others as if we want to be in relationship with them. Oh, wow. Okay. So I want to go back a few moments ago. You were talking about the mission of your organization, More and Better. What was that? The More and Better Life? Well, part of hospitable leadership. In my book, I talk about the five welcomes of hospitable leadership. Let me take just a moment to get back to the question in a way that where there's more context. The first welcome is home. The idea is that you, you have to create an environment that feels like home to people. And I talk about how that home is where the heart is warm. Every leader has to find a way to warm people's hearts and to know that a warm-hearted person is much easier to lead. So facts and information do not warm people's hearts. Empathetic listening does, as an example or good storytelling does, or creating in physical environments that are warm and welcoming does. So anyway, the first welcome is home. The second welcome is dreams. And it's in the dreams welcome where I dig into this idea of more and better life, which is the driving motivation around the organization I lead, that we want to inspire people to the way we say it, the life God dreams for them. And it's really based on the, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, which I think can be compelling to people from any faith background or even a background that's irreligious, where he said that he offered life in all of its fullness, or there's a paraphrase called the message that says more and better life than people ever dreamed of. And so we always talk about how that when you begin to aspire to something bigger than yourself, that you can have more life than you ever dreamed of. That when we get a bigger picture of life, which could involve care and concern for other people, care and concern for the world around us, when you get a bigger picture of your life, then all of a sudden you have more life than you ever dreamed of when your life was just about yourself. And then there are three other welcomes, which might not be important to get into right now, but it's in the dream section that we really talk about that. So many thoughts just exploded in my mind as I was listening those two sections, Terry. You said something that we've been talking about on the podcast and in this Extraordinary Life community, this when you aspire to something bigger than yourself, when you aspire. So I want to go back because here's a phrase I 
said it to you before we hit recording that I had shared came out of a conversation or preparing for a conversation with Nilifer Merchant that when you belong, you become more. When you belong or where you belong, you become more, which led me to on this quest, when and where people belong. And then I had another conversation with Gina Bianchini, who's the CEO and founder of Mighty Networks, and talked about when people belong to something bigger than themselves, that's doing something positive for the world, right? Modified it with doing something positive for the world. So I want to go back. I want to tie hospitality into this because I was in a conversation with a friend that said, yeah, but that whole continuum starts with welcome, right? If people don't feel welcome, they don't hang around long enough to find out that they belong. They don't ever hear that there's something bigger and better that they can aspire to and become. So now all of a sudden I'm understanding hospitality is just part of this Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about. What does that spark in your mind and heart? Maybe more your heart than your mind. I think it's important. Not only do we create an environment that feels welcoming in terms of our relationships with one another, but that we also create an environment, especially as leaders, where we're welcoming people to a mission, to a cause. And it sounds, sounds like you've been on this theme. It's absolutely right. Community, just for the sake of community, ends up imploding in on itself. It becomes navel-gazing. But community that looks outward, that tries to accomplish something, is life-giving. It's like Antoine D'Exupéry said. I can't believe I'm remembering that name. But evidently, I'm just glad you pronounced it and not me. (laughs) Well, don't look up pronunciation guides on it. He said, Love doesn't consist in looking at one another, love consists in looking together in the same direction. Oh, I'm going to ask you to repeat that one. I'm pulling this out of the recesses of my memory. That's okay. This is how I remember it. He said, love doesn't consist in gazing at each other. It consists in looking together in the same direction. I'm reminded of John Meacham's wonderful book about the friendship between Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. And in it, either he talks about this or someone he quotes talks about the fact the, the unique friendship of, of Roosevelt and Churchill, who wouldn't, probably wouldn't have typically been friends. But he said friendship is really about, it's not just caring for one another. It's really about caring about the same things. And so, so this is why I think we're not just welcoming to each other, but the leader of an organization is also welcoming people to a mission, to a cause to get people involved in something bigger than themselves. Because this is where relationships really become most meaningful. And this is where belonging turns in hopefully to shared mission, shared accomplishment. Oh my gosh. That came out of my heart and my mind, (laughs) just so you know. (laughs) Oh, I love this, Terry. Here we are in the middle of this fascinating conversation. And we're going to pause for just a moment to share something we believe that will interest and excite you. 
Hey, we're back, and I'm in conversation today with Terry A. Smith, actual pastor Terry A. Smith. He leads this beautiful congregation that has been called one of the most diverse communities in the world, and we're talking about hospitality. And we were just talking about it's hospitality and welcoming isn't just to make people feel good and feel that they belong. It's for the purpose of becoming something better. And that's a mission. So what have you learned about hospitality as a leader of any noble mission? Because I know you have friends that lead all kinds of noble missions, including Frances Hesselbein. Yes. <laughs> She's amazing. So hospitality leading towards any noble mission. Unpack that for us. Okay. Moment. So you threw me a curveball mentioning Francis Hesselbein. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, so let me tell a little story about Francis. So Francis is the former CEO of the Girl Scouts of America. She transformed the Girl Scouts. She's the first woman featured on the cover of Inc. magazine. She she won the Presidential Medal of Freedom the highest award given to a civilian in our country. I can go on and on and on about Frances. And she now is, I think, 105 years old. And she stands about, I'm going to guess, four foot, 10 inches tall. And uh, since you and I last talked, Kevin, I had, I had lunch with Frances at her office in Manhattan and in the swanky section of Manhattan, right on Park Avenue, if I remember correctly. Anyway, I'm glad you asked this question. It may just take just a moment to develop this. It's good. It's good. I'm digging into my now my short-term memory, which might be dangerous. So we have this, we're sitting in her office and she's showing me all these pictures of with her with every, she's had personal relationships with every president since, I don't know who, for a long, long time. And she shows me hospitality in a number of ways. As we're leaving the office, she opens the door and then closed it again because behind the door were a number of poster boards that she wanted to show me. Now, her assistant's standing there trying to get her to finish this meeting, right, and move on. <laughs> but she very deliberately said, no, I want to show Terry this. She shows me a pictures of her before, when she was a Girl Scout leader in Pennsylvania in the 50s. I believe this is 1952. She shows me some pictures and particularly she wanted me to focus on the staff that she put in place of this Girl Scout camp out in Pennsylvania in 1952. And in this picture of about, there were, I think, three black women. Now this is 1952. And she pointed to each of those black women and she told me their name and she told me what she did. And she said, and this is Rose. She said, Rose was my best friend. She said, you know, in 1952, a black person couldn't have eaten in any of the restaurants on Park Avenue. Rose was my best friend. And it struck me as we spent that amazing period of time together, and she's talking about this president and that president and this experience and that experience and so on, that the thing she that was clearly to her the most important thing she could tell me about was her relationship 
1952 with a black woman when that was, I didn't live in that time, but obviously this is in the midst of segregation, pre-Martin Luther King Jr., etc., and that she had an inclusive staff of camp counselors. So now to me, that is the epitome of hospitable leadership, that she very intentionally, in a way that was against the common current of what was happening at that time, she decided to welcome people into her life and to share leadership with her who were unlike her and not accepted in those kind of circles during that time. So again, pardon me for the diatribe, but you threw Francis Hesselbein's name in. And it happened that I just had this experience with this incredible woman who at 105 years old is infinitely sharper than I am mentally. Oh, you used a word that I was wanting to maybe see if it came up in the conversation and it's around inclusivity, right? So diversity and inclusion are popular words today. And there was Frances Hesselbein at a time when people were discouraging. I mean, she was, she was probably criticized for involving minorities in that part of the world, in her part of the world at that time. So how does hospitality change the conversation around quotas and these external metrics for diversifying who's at the table and making sure others are included at the table? How does hospitality help us see that differently? Well, so I have a staff of about 30 people, a hired paid staff, and obviously hundreds of volunteers who serve in a lot of other capacities. But our staff is incredibly diverse, and we have never thought in terms of quotas. I, I don't know how intelligent I can speak about this because I just don't think very much yeah. that way. When you work hard to create an environment where all kinds of people feel welcome, and then you, you try to create an environment where you're always hiring the best available person, for us, it's always been pretty normative mm. to hire a diversity of people. And am I intentional about it? Well, sure, I guess I am, but I've never made a decision in my memory, in my 29 years of leadership of this organization, based on race alone, or primarily even. Does it factor in? I would say I'm really excited when I can bring diversity onto the team, but I, we put out applications, interview the best people, hire the best person to have ended up with a lot of diversity. That's what happens when, when your fear of influence has welcomed a wide diversity of people. It becomes an automatic thing. And then it affects everything about how you do things. Let's just say, for instance, we're in the election season this Sunday. I'm going to take the risk of talking about hopefully how to think properly, to think with a hospitality mindset about politics. Okay. So I'm not endorsing anyone. I'm not saying who I'm voting for. I'm, what I'm trying to do is to, is, to, is to make sure that there's unity in our diversity during this season and that people respect folks with different views. Well, so as I'm thinking about 
what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it, I called into my office three members of my staff who, from my relationships with them, I know have different views about politics. And I sat there and ran through what I was going to say and had each of them challenge it and talk about from their perspective how what I was saying either appealed to them or turned them off or was insensitive to where they were coming from. And, well, to say that my talk will be much, much, much better for having had that conversation, this is the kind of thing that happens when you do life with people who are not like you. That's just one example from a couple of days ago that has impacted me this week. What I hear you saying in another word, you avoid the echo chamber of only hearing those people that tell you what you want to hear. (laughs) Here's one of the things I think is one of the most important disciplines of my life. I read news and here come the landscapers again. It's leaf blowing season. I guess they're, uh, (laughs) I think they're blowing leaves off of the tree outside my window. (laughs) I apologize to you and your listeners. So I make myself every day read the news from a variety of sources so that I never get caught up in the echo chamber. So every, every morning I read the New York Times, which obviously, I don't know, maybe it's not obvious to some people if it's all they read, but leans really, really left. I also read the Fox News app, which leans right. I read... I won't go through it all, but I read four or five sources because what I've learned is that if if someone only watches MSNBC or if they only watch Fox, they don't even know. They don't even know how to have a conversation with someone coming from the other side. And it's kind of hard to get anywhere. And by the way, I have pretty strong personal political feelings. I'm not a, a person who doesn't have my own opinions. I have strong opinions. I just vow, even if I wanted to convince someone of my opinion, I can't do that with someone who I don't sit at the table with. Oh, so our time's coming to a close. Thanks for sharing this. And so disciplines, I mean, there are disciplines in your life to diversify the way, what you hear that changes the way you think. Let me ask one final question before I give you the opportunity to say whatever you want to say to wrap it up. You know, we talk about a lot in our community, how an extraordinary life, really just doing a lot of ordinary things with extra focus, fervor, and flair. Is that true of hospitality? That you don't have to do extravagant things to create an incredibly hospitable environment. You just do a lot of little things. Absolutely. Now, sometimes extravagance is a good thing, right? Absolutely. But in the normal day-to-day flow of things, extravagance becomes normal and loses its extravagance. So we talk a lot in our organization just about really thinking about, okay, something as simple as, so I'm hosting a meeting about X, Y, or Z with these five people. What am I going to do? to make sure that they know I thought about them, I planned, I prepared, I set a hospitable environment for them. How am I gonna warm their hearts? How 
am I going to let them know I care about their dreams, that it's not just about them coming in and serving the organization, but it's also about the organization serving them. It's just thinking through those things. Yeah. And then those things, whether they are extravagant in their own nature or not, they have a feeling of extravagance to that. They sure do. Well, what, what did someone say? The most beautiful sound in the world to a person is the sound of their own name. Yeah. When people walk in a room and you are presenting things physically, attitudinally, spiritually, and so on in a way that says, I thought about you. I care about you. It moves people in a way. And again, the idea of hospitable leadership is then that it helps you lead them to something more and better. Something more and better. So how do you want to close this, conclude our time together? Something that's going to, I heard you said, warm the hearts (laughs) of those. Well, I think I would say, look, I assume people can't see me on this podcast. I'm a 57-year-old white guy who was born and raised in Indiana. I never expected, never thought, I didn't plan to have the experience I've had the last 29 years of living in deep relationship with such a diverse group of people. And I will simply say that it is the most wonderful thing in the world. I don't think, in fact, I encourage people to not think that they have to jump on the bandwagon. How do I want to say this? You don't have to become something that you're not in order to have deep and meaningful and transformational relationships with people who aren't like you. You just have to love people. You have to spend time with people. You have to empathetically listen to people. And when you do, you'll be stunned at what comes out of that. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful, Terry. What a beautiful place. Yeah, you don't have to become something you're not. That's exactly right. Let's use an, an example. I'll hear pastors who are wanting to attract, and I appreciate their heart, a black audience. They'll change the way they speak as if by speaking in a way that might be identified as more, let's use the term urban. I don't even know if that's the proper word to say. Listen, that's not what people want. They want you to be you. They want you to be authentic. They want to know you care. They want to know that you empathize. They want you to know that you're for them. They want to know that you both ultimately want the same things in life. They want you to lead them someplace great. So, Oh, that's beautiful. What a beautiful place to wrap this up. Thank you for joining us. For people that want to find out more, continue a conversation with you, where do we point people? HarryAsmith.com. There you go. So, yeah, and I would say, now the Hospital Believer can be bought any place books are sold, but at TerryAsmith.com, there are other resources that are also made available, including, Kevin, I do a weekly newsletter slash blog. And if people like to kind of, you know, get a five-minute inspirational blog every week, they can go to TerryAsmith.com, sign up for that. They also can follow me on social media, Pastor Terry A. Smith or Terry underscore A underscore Smith. 
I vlog and do the things that most thought leaders do to try to inspire people on a regular basis. I do know that because I subscribe to that newsletter. I don't subscribe to many, but I get yours, Terry. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining today. I appreciate the work you're doing, and I, and I love the whole concept behind this extraordinary life. Thank you. Thank you. Terry, thanks for joining me. You fired me up throughout this conversation, and especially at the end, and I was ready to go another few rounds if time permitted. You know, remember up front, I mentioned a special guest. Let's do that now, and then I'll close us out. In this week's special edition of the Community Spotlight, I've invited my friend who happens to be the artist in residence for the Gratitude Challenge, Kat Hayes, to join us today. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Kevin. You know, Kat, Right now, we're doing a gratitude challenge, and it just seemed appropriate to invite you to join me on the podcast. Uh, There are a couple of things we want to share, but I want to ask this. As the artist in residence for the gratitude challenge, what gives you joy about creating artwork that inspires gratitude for people around the world? The biggest thing for me is having seen the impact it's had on people not just the artwork, but the challenge as a whole, but I think both the images and the words together create something really special that seems to really inspire people to not only practice gratitude, but to share it and to have open conversations with each other about it. And I never envisioned it getting to the scale it has. Yeah, we had no idea. When we started, we had no idea that we would ever do more than one challenge because there was just this idea, July of 2019, to host a 10-day gratitude challenge. That gratitude challenge was uh, so energetic, so energizing, and there was a wait list for people to do it again. So we took a week off, we did it again. Then we took uh, two weeks off and did it again. And there was just this hunger and this appetite for the gratitude challenge. And I had this idea, I remember it was June 17th, 2019, to find an artist. I had this knowing that there was an artist somewhere in the world who would join and create original artwork for the challenge. I had no idea what that would look like. I posted a tweet, you responded. And then since then, Kat, it has truly been magical because I do, I know this. I don't just believe this, I know this. Your artwork amplifies the impact of the challenge for people because there's something about this visual stimulation of the senses that opens people up to a deeper, richer, more robust experience of gratitude. So I want to say thank you for saying yes (laughs) to that invitation. Yeah, thank you for what this last year has been. And now we have something exciting we want to share with you listening. And Kat, I'm going to give you the privilege of unveiling that. Thank you. We have taken the gratitude challenge even further. And we have created the gratitude challenge card deck. It is 54 prompts in a lovely gift box that you can use by yourself, with your friends and family, with your colleagues, your teams, 
that just takes it out of being only able to be done when the challenge is running to you having the flexibility to use it whenever and wherever you want. And this is such a fabulous idea. It's actually an idea that's been a year in the making. We couldn't pull it off last year. We reconnected in September, had a catch-up conversation, and both realized we had unfinished business to do around gratitude. That led to us doing more gratitude challenges. It led to this, the creation of the Gratitude Challenge card deck. And we want to tell you, you can get these now. You can pre-order and you can be among the first in the world to have your own deck of the gratitude challenge cards you can use these for yourself you can give them as gifts in this upcoming holiday season we will have them to you in time for gift giving this year cat where do people go to get them gratitudegiftshop.com and we will include a link in the show notes gratitudegiftshop.com cat I have to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and for so many people that I know who have enjoyed a richer experience of gratitude because of the gift you've shared with the world. Thank you. Thanks for joining today. Thank you for inviting me. Kat, thanks for joining me. We're so excited now to offer the Gratitude Challenge cards, and I hope you'll order yours soon. You know, in the days and weeks ahead, you and me, we're going to have many opportunities to extend hospitality. And I've got a feeling there are going to be plenty of people looking for and needing a hospitable place to go and have someone welcome them with open hearts, arms, and ears. Will you sit and talk? Well, let me hearken back to that conversation with Oscar Tremboli and Jane Adshead Grant. Will you sit and listen to someone that you're tempted to judge? Will you sit and listen to them? Whether that's in your neighborhood, your workplace, or at your family holiday gathering that's coming up. There's plenty that I'm soaking in from this conversation with Terry. I want to focus your attention on A theme, a theme that I hear threading through several of the conversations I host here. Whether you heard it with Gina Bianchini, Nilla for Merchant, and now Terry, it's this idea of belonging. Terry said it today, welcoming people to a mission or a cause and get people involved in something bigger than themselves. That's where relationships take on an extra dimension of meaning. And this is where belonging turns into something more, to shared mission and accomplishment. Where's that for you? I want to hear about it. You can call, text, or WhatsApp me at plus one four zero four seven one three zero seven one three. Hey, I want to invite you, encourage you to extend hospitality to someone today and see what happens because that is one way that you can live this extraordinary life now. I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for you joining us here today.